welcome to the Wesley Memorial Podcast. Join us this Sunday at 1225 Chestnut Drive in High Point. Visit us on the web at wesleymemorial.org. Now here is this week's message. Man. Welcome again. This is part two of a series we're doing called Remembering Joy. And last week was about remembering joy in trials. And today is remembering joy in your Christian witness. And it's a good reminder that our joy comes from where our roots go. That joy is not a destination. It's a determination. That joy does not happen to us by chance. But it happens to us by choice. But where our allegiances go, that who those who delight in him, as it says in Psalm 1, that we are like a tree that is planted next to a, a river that will never run dry. And that even though the seasons change and the tree goes through seasons and hardship and growth as well, that our roots help us remain grounded. That it gives, we have a foundation to our faith that no matter what may come, that we can remain rooted in him. And so there's that idea of joy that it's not about... Um, it's not, a, it's not a chance, but it's a choice of where we put our roots. And today is, is finding joy in our Christian witness. And that's appropriately on today, which is called Baptism of Our Lord's Sunday, where we remember the baptism of Jesus. And that, and that as he was baptized in the Jordan, that he didn't need to be washed of his sin because he's the son of God. But he did it as an example for us to follow. And that today we'll have an opportunity at the end of this service to remember our baptism as our Christian witness um, as well. But when we hear this idea of, of being a Christian witness, it's a bit uh, overwhelming. If you live to be the age of 80 and you interact with two to three people a day, it's estimated that you will influence between 60 and 80,000 people in your lifetime. Now, with the age of social media, that could even be higher. I have friends on Facebook that I've literally never met, but we're friends, and we are influenced, and we influence each other somehow. But if you live to be the age of 80, you could influence literally a football stadium of people with your life, positively or negatively. Now, if you're slightly introverted, you can maybe influence the size of like Rocker Stadium. But still, that is still an influence. That's still a lot of people, so be encouraged. Now, when we read the Bible, it's pretty clear about being a witness. That's very clear. Matthew 28, Jesus is about to be ascended into heaven. And he tells the disciples, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, that you need to go. Teach them to obey everything I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. There's no exceptions in those statements. There's a very clarity about being a witness as a Christian in the world. And we pray a joyful witness, not a weird witness. Um, now, where are we called to be a witness? Uh, Clearly, it's really everywhere to the nations to be a witness. Some people may say, now, what if I had like, my lifestyle could be enough of a witness? And that's true. I think that's important to have a lifestyle witness, but that's kind of passive. Um, Jesus didn't say to go and have a good lifestyle. He said to go and be a witness. Now, lifestyle is part of that, but sometimes we have to be active. Our faith needs to be active and to share even with words and our witness in who we are as well. And some people today, though, and I'm the same way, I don't want to step on anybody's toes. You want to be loving and compassionate with your witness. But you don't want to shove anything down anyone's throat, and I understand that. 
But imagine if you had a pill that could cure cancer, which I hope that happens one day. But imagine if you, if you had that, would you not want to go and share it with the world? Of course you would. You would not hesitate. I mean, think about people that Jesus healed, like the blind people that Jesus healed, or those who were dead and he raised to life. What was their witness like? Do you think they sat on their hands and didn't say anything? I mean, I'm, I find that hard to believe. I'm sure they shouted to everyone they could hear, Let, I need, you need to know about this man that has saved my life. And now as Christians, we should have the same response, the same joyful witness. Because if we have new life in Christ, we should not hold that back. But should put our light on a stand for all to see, to have a joyful witness. We don't have to push it on people, but we should proclaim it. And then in the New Testament, repeatedly, 2 Timothy says, Be ready uh, to um, be persistent in whether the time is favorable or unfavorable, to convince, rebuke, encourage with the utmost patience in teaching. Just sort of be ready to be a witness. And um, 1 Peter says to uh, always be ready to make your defense to anyone who demands from you an accounting for the hope that is in you. Not to argue or anything, but just to, to say, this is why I'm a Christian. This is why I've chosen to follow Jesus. This is who I am. But there is some pressure there. It's, you don't want to be pushy and weird and to be a witness. You want to do it in a way that's joyful and winsome and, and real and authentic. Um, but it's scary. And I get that. I researched the top four things that people are most scared of. Who can guess what number four is? You mean, any ideas? Clowns? Well, that's a good one. <laughs> Clowns. Wow, oh my gosh. Oh, I'm not going to go to sleep tonight. What's your... Roller coasters? Yeah? Sharks? Sharks? Dying's on here. Change. Yeah, okay, you're getting ahead of me here. All right. Number four was darkness. People are scared of darkness. Who can guess number three is? Is spiders, which I was surprised. I would, I would go snake. I would go snake. Spiders. Number two, death. You said death. Death. So death's not number one. This is a problem. Number one is public speaking. Like Jerry Seinfeld said, you're better off being in the casket than doing the eulogy, okay? <laughs> you would rather die than do what I'm doing right now. So I get that speaking in public is not like, you know, sharing your faith. It's not something people automatically want to do. Um, but it doesn't have to be scary or hateful or weird. Um, if you read the book of Acts, we have a great account of being a joyful witness in a way that is simply real and that God uses to change lives. And it says this in Acts 16.25. Now, Paul and Silas, they get thrown into prison because the Lord delivers a young girl that's possessed by a demon in Philippi. And she could read the future. So um, men were making money off this little girl as a fortune teller. So when the Lord heals her and delivers her from the demon, then the men who were making money get mad and they throw Paul and Silas in jail. Okay, so there's some context. And when you get thrown into prison back then, it wasn't like prisons now. You're chained in a very, you couldn't stand up and you couldn't sit down. You're in a very uncomfortable position. They're basically open sewers. They're disgusting, these old Roman um, prisons. But about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God in prison. And the prisoners were listening to them. 
Suddenly there was an earthquake so violent that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's chains were unfastened. I like that, because the Lord doesn't just deliver Paul and Silas. He breaks off everybody's chains. Isn't that great? When the jailer woke up and saw the prison doors wide open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself. Because if you were a Roman guard back then and you failed in this way, you might as well just kill yourself because they're, they're probably going to kill you for failing. So to save face, he's drawing his own sword to take his own life. Since he, was, he supposed that the prisoners had escaped, but Paul shouted in a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. Talk about integrity. He didn't run out yet. The jailer called for lights, and rushing in, he fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. And then he brought them outside and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They answered, Believe on the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. They spoke the word of the Lord to him. They spoke their witness to him and to all who were in his house. At the same hour of the night, he took them and washed their wounds. A lot has happened here in one night. And then he and his entire family were baptized without delay. He brought them up into the house and set food before them, and he and his entire household rejoiced. I'm, I'm reading this because we get to the joy part. And he'd become, that he'd become a believer in God. So, what an incredible account, because for one, Paul and Silas don't know that they're going to get delivered from prison. They have no idea what's coming. But still they choose to stay in prison and, let, and, just, and to be a joyful witness. No matter what they're experiencing, they're being a joyful witness to those around them. And God uses it to literally transform lives. And that joy transfers to this jailer and his family. And the goodness of God flows continually. See, you can't hold back God-given praise. You can't hold back the joy of God. Nothing will stop it. Even before Jesus is crucified, this is a little piece of the Bible people forget. They have the Passover meal, and when they leave the Passover meal, Matthew 26 tells us that he and the disciples sang a hymn, and then they went to the Garden of Gethsemane. This is fascinating that um, he left the Passover meal with a song of joy and praise on his lips, choosing to be joyful, choosing to be a witness, even though he knew what was to come very shortly. But see, like Paul and Silas, we need to remember not to be so focused on what is wrong with you or what is so wrong with what's around you, but to be more focused on what is so right about God and what is so right about the goodness of God. Because if you focus only about what's wrong in your life, you'll go into a spiritual slump. Because we all have stuff that's wrong. We all have things that we wish weren't so. And if you focus only on those things, it will hinder your Christian witness as well. Yeah, I mean, were Paul and Silas in the jail and were they singing a song like, Nobody knows trouble I've seen. Were they all lonesome and down on themselves? They weren't. They were joyful. I don't know what they were singing, but it was a good song. Now, kids, back in 2002, if you wanted to get your pictures developed, you had to take film and you would go to a store and give it to someone and they would print it on ink on paper, right? And then you'd get pictures back. I went to Walmart in 2002 to get some pictures developed on Harris Boulevard in Charlotte. I worked at a Methodist church in East Charlotte. And I walk into Walmart and I hand the lady my film. And I'm in a bad mood that day. I don't remember why. I'm grouchy. I'm upset. I'm stressed about something that's going on. And I'm wearing a church name tag. It says the name of the church. There's a cross on it. And my name. 
And I go up to this woman, and she says, how are you doing today? And I say, I'm fine. <laughs> Here's my film. And she takes it. I sign the little slip, you know, you have to do. And, and she, she sees my name tag, and she says, you work at a church? I said, yeah. And she said, you better let your light shine. Mic drop. She got me. She got me. She was right. I was choosing to be a grouch. I was choosing to be stressed out. I was choosing to be focused on what was so wrong around me instead of being focused on what is so good and joyful and right about God. That it's just it's a it's a miracle that we're even here. It's a miracle that I even get to go to Walmart and have a car and have a camera. You know, it my focus was all wrong. And thank God for that woman who called me out. You better let your light shine. Because joy should have a, a, the biggest impact on our witness. A joyful witness that's Christ-focused and not just happiness-focused. Like, if you're, a religious, if you're not a really a religious person and you're listening to this, you've never really been to church a whole lot, and you think, okay, maybe I'll believe in Christianity, but I would like God to kind of make me happy. That's not really God. It's a butler. There's only one way to come to God, and it's without conditions. We can't really come to God with conditions. Make me happy, God. Because already our heart is coming from a selfish place. God never promises constant joy and happiness to us in this life. But he does say, I have overcome the world, so take heart. The irony is, the less you're focused on your happiness, the more you find it. If you aim at heaven, you get earth thrown in, as C.S. Lewis would have said. But if you aim at earth, you get neither. If you seek to save your life, you'll lose it. But if you seek to lose your life, you find it. It's the upside down way of the kingdom of heaven. That's the way God looks at the earth. Let go of your life. Don't just seek happiness. You won't get it. Seek God. Seek righteousness first. Then God will add to you in time what you really need. A story of someone that really typifies this is a guy named Jim Elliott, who was shown in the movie, 2006 movie called The End of the Spear. He was a missionary. He and his four friends went to Ecuador in 1956 to witness to the Huarani tribe in Ecuador. But within a week, all five of them would be martyred by the tribe. Now later, as seen in the movie, a lot of these, mem these tribe members would come to faith, but um, in that moment, no, they were famously martyred. His wife, who survived, didn't go on the trip, she published his diaries later, and he said this famous statement where he said, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Powerful, powerful sentence. You're no fool if you give up what you already can't gain anyway to keep what you can't lose. See, the number one priority should be serving God. And if happiness happens, great. And if it doesn't, God is enough. We don't exist for God. We, I mean, God does not exist for us. We exist for God. It's like Psalm 142 that says that, that God is our portion, that he is more than enough, that in his presence is fullness of joy, that simply the delight of knowing the love of God is enough.
It's like we said last Sunday that, that the fundamental aspect of joy is that it comes up from within where our roots go. Now, we also need a joyful witness that's real, not some plastic, weird, forced sort of thing. A lot of younger people, now younger than me, um, who uh, are very um, focused on authenticity. They want to know, is, is this really real to you? And if it's real to you, I might believe it. And they're looking at us. They're looking at the Christian church and our witness and our lives and going, if this is real to you, then maybe, maybe I'll believe it. This, um, I read about a church in California started by a pastor named Mark Hansen. And it got my attention because it's, uh, it's called Jerk Church. And if you're a jerk, they want you to come in. Now on a pastoral level, you're asking for a lot of problems. If you're just marketing to jerks. If you're a jerk, we want you to come though. We, if you're, and I like that. It's authentic. It's real. So it's saying if you got problems and you're messed up and you're a curmudgeon and you're cynical, come on in. Come on into jerk church. Now consequently, most of the people who attend jerk church are men. <laughs> so guys, we got some work to do. <laughs> but I like the authenticity of that. This witness that's real. See, and even Paul, when he writes this in 2 Corinthians, he's being real about these words. The words that we read and are saying in the first song, Trading My Sorrows. He says, we are afflicted in every way, but we're not crushed. We're perplexed, we're confused, but we're not driven to despair. We're persecuted. He's being honest. Yeah, we're getting persecuted. But we're not forsaken, we're not alone. We are struck down, literally beaten, but we're not destroyed. We're always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be made visible in our bodies. For while we live, we are always being given up to death for Jesus' sake so that the life of Jesus may be made visible in our mortal flesh. In the same way, the Messiah would be foretold in Isaiah, the book of Isaiah in the Old Testament, uh, the Messiah would be described as a man of sorrows. That there would be a, and yet he would never be in despair. And that the Messiah would carry with us, would carry our sin and our death and our guilt. But he was never in despair. And what I mean by that is Christianity will make you a happier person in that, because God is good and he forgives us of our sin and he washes us of our past and our mistakes that we all have. But it can also make you a sadder person. And here's what I mean by that. When I was 20 years old, I came to Christ. And I, gave, and I had a, kind of a conversion experience. And soon after that, a few weeks later, I started to think about a friend of mine who, as a child, we were childhood friends. I hadn't thought about him in probably 10 years. And he was now in federal prison. And I hadn't talked to this guy in years. And, and I, looking back now, I can see that God was leading me to, to him. And, and I wrote him some letters. And I sent him a, a Bible. And he wrote me back. And he told him how much it meant to him. And he felt so encouraged. And, and in that moment, I experienced so much joy out of the, what God had done for me. And yet I was also engaging with the sorrow of this world in a level I had never done before. My heart of love had expanded in a way. And I was happier but I also started to feel and see the world the way God feels and sees the world. 
See, what I really mean is the gospel and our witness, it frees us to just be honest. Let's just be honest. Let's break out of ourselves. Let's just say what we really mean. Let's see reality for the first time. That when you break out of yourself, then your witness gets very real and authentic. And you're actually able to feel the pain and the sorrow of those around you. It, Christianity dispels the sentimental view that everything should go right all the time. That the gospel levels the playing field. The ground at the foot of the cross is level. There's no Jew or Greek, slave nor free, black nor white. We're all on the same boat. And that this church, or any church, is the, should be the perfect place for imperfect people. We can stop pretending. You feel the pain of the world more than you did before. Yes, your sins are pardoned. The happiness definitely overwhelms the sadness. But the joy doesn't deny the darkness. That's called brainwashing. And God's not in the business of that. Tim Keller says that Jesus Christ did not suffer in witness so that you would not suffer. He suffered so that when you do suffer, you would become more like him. And then lastly, a joyful witness can be, should be lived out in community. It kind of has to be lived out in community. And what I mean by that is, I have, whenever I've experienced joy in my life, it's always been in relationships. How can you experience joy alone? I don't think you can. It'd be at a really sad party, I guess. I've always had people around me when I experienced joy. And my first inclination when I experienced that joy was to then go and share it with other people. That's part of the joy, isn't it? When you get something good and you're like, I want to share that with people around me. I want to share that joy. Our witness as a body of any church is maybe the strong, one of the strongest witnesses we have that God uses to bless people. With. I know that's certainly the case in my life. That joyful Christian community has literally saved my life and many times and been a witness to me. So if you're not in a group or in a Sunday school class or... Um, or coming on Wednesday night, I encourage you to do that. Or look out for Sunday. We're going to have new Sunday offerings later this year. Some groups you could get involved with. Now, I came across this quote about a joyful witness um, in community and how God uses it. And I, this has stuck with me. It probably always will stick with me. Of a, a third, in the third century, there was a man. We don't know who he was. I found this in a theology book. A man was anticipating death. And he wrote these last words to a friend. It's a bad world, an incredibly bad world, but I've discovered in the midst of it a quiet and holy people who have learned a great secret. They have found a joy which is a thousand times better than any pleasure of our sinful life. They are despised and persecuted, but they care not. They are masters of their souls. They have overcome the world. These people are the Christians, and I am one of them. I, this summarizes so many aspects of church and salvation and joy to me, that he acknowledges the badness of the world, and yet juxtaposed in it is a quiet and holy and joyful people that are witnessed in a very peculiar way, that's very set apart from the rest of the world. And they care not, for they have overcome the world. 
And when we come to be baptized, that's a great way to witness to our faith. Baptism is also a sign of being entered into the life of the church. It's the official entry point into the church. Baptism is not the end of something. It's the beginning of something. Obviously, it represents washing of sin, being raised from death into new life. And so there's a mystery to baptism and a beauty to it. And so when we have this time of remembering our baptisms, it's a time where we remember that you have been washed of your sin. And that when you come forward to remember your baptism, let that water wash away the sin of the past or the baggage or the thing and to know that it's over. You may still have to deal with the repercussions of it, but God has forgiven you. And as we come forward to do this, when, when Christian churches remember our baptism, this is a time that is for those who have been baptized. And I say that with great sensitivity, because there might be somebody here who has never been baptized. And we would love to talk to you about that. If you would like to pursue that, you can check the box on the back of that Connect card, and we would love to talk to you about pursuing baptism for yourself or your family. But this is a time to come, to walk up to the center aisle, you can dip your fingers here in the water, either side, place it on your forehead, and remember your baptism. Come pray at the prayer rail if you wish. And let it be a time with you and God to be washed, to be renewed, to be refreshed. And then I pray to leave here with a joyful witness, just as Jesus has done for you. May you do the same for others. So I'm going to pray, and then you're invited to come forward and participate. Let us pray. Holy Spirit, pour out your spirit on this water. That just as Noah went through the flood, just as Christ was raised to new life, God, that we can be raised to new life as well and washed of our sin. Bless this water, God, and may you use it as a sign and a symbol of how you have made us whiter than snow. You have removed our sin as from us as far as the east is from the west. That you have forgotten it. Give us the strength, God, to maybe continue to soldier on. Holy Spirit, you're welcome here in this time. We welcome you. Lead us in this time, Holy. In Jesus' name, amen. You're welcome to come forward and participate.